Welcome to the ministry of Faith Community Church of Indianapolis. We pray this message by Pastor John Roberts is a blessing to you. To learn more about Faith Community Church, please visit us at FCCIndianapolis.com. I have a little access card. It says Planet Fitness on it. I can go down the road here, walk in. They got a little laser scanner. I scan my card. I know when I do it, there's going to be lights flash that tells the attendant he hasn't been here for nine years. <laughs> he's been paying 10 bucks a month, and he's a member, and he has access. He just never uses the access. But I have access, and they don't know who I am at Planet Fitness. I'm sure the people that I talked to when I joined that place, they're all, they, they've gone on to different jobs now. I have access, legal access, to that place. I do not take any, I do not reap any of the benefits of access to that place. By faith, I have access to the throne room. But if I don't get in the throne room, I get none of the benefits of the throne room. And this is not just getting access. I, I was listening to someone who actually kind of was started me along, he was preaching about grace, but he used this illustration of, of, of um, he lives in Southern California, and his wife and two little kids love to go to Disney World. And he was talking about Disney World, and I've been to Disney, I've been to, not Disney World, he loves to go to Disneyland. I've been to Disney World when my kids were little. And when you buy the ticket, you got access to it. The problem with things like that is, you go, you park, you get out, you pack everybody up, you go stand. First of all, you, you know, you, now when I was there, it was like, okay, that, I got to memorize this. I'm in Donald Duck, I'm in row 942, 942, 942, Donald Duck, 942, 942. You got to memorize where you are because when you get out, you've got 7,000 acres of cars parked out there and you got to figure out where to go. And it, it getting in's easy. Finding your car, not so much. Because I'm, I, I swear, there are some homeless people in in Florida. They're truly not homeless. They're just still lost in the parking lot at Disney World. <laughs> but then you go and you stand in the place where the shuttle comes, and you, you then the shuttle comes, and you take three hours and forty two minutes to load all of your kids' stuff into the thing and then you have a 45 minute ride through the shuttle till you get to the gate and by you get by the time you get to the gate the kids are hungry they're tired they're crying and you're looking at them saying stop crying we're having fun and you haven't even gotten there yet you got access but you're wore out just trying to get there half the time that's us we, we're trying, we're battling, trying to get access to the, to the throne room and not realizing that we don't have to park. We don't have to get a shuttle. We just have to walk in by faith. We don't have, this does not require anything out of us. He's already given us that access. But notice that access, it's by faith into grace in which we now stand. We're already standing in the grace. Remember, the grace of God is the power of God. I'm standing in it right now. 
If you really want to get technical about it, I'm in the throne room right now. Go to Ephesians, read it. We are seated with him in heavenly places. I'm standing right here in, in, in the sanctuary here in Indianapolis, but at the same time, I'm sitting on the throne room because I'm in Christ, and Christ is seated next to the Father. And in him, I'm there. I don't have to work at it. I don't have to, oh, God, i got to repent of every sin. Let me, oh, let me think, what have I done this week? Because i got to get before the Father. What have I done? Oh, Lord, if I, I think I forgot a couple of them. What am I going to do? You know, keep your, your list short. No, just don't keep a list. You don't, need to, you don't need to confess every sin. If you read 1 John 1, 9, it says if we confess, that, confess our sins, we... <clears throat> excuse me. This is what happens when you, you get, your brain gets to moving a little faster than, than the rest of you. Let me go over there because I don't want to misquote it. This one's too important. 1 John 1, and thank God for quick access. This is out of the Amplified. If we freely admit that we have sinned and confess our sins, it's not the confession of every action. It's confessing that we are sinners. We have sinned. Not sinners at my nature, but I am a, I am a sheep who's been rolling in the pig pen. Lord, I need you. That's basically what, what this is the same. But notice the emphasis. If we admit that we have sinned and confess those sins, he is faithful and just, true to his own nature and promises, and will forgive our sins and cleanse us continually from all unrighteousness, from our wrongdoing, everything not in conformity with his will and purpose. All I got to do is say it's the same thing Paul said in, in, in Hebrews, come boldly before the throne of grace to find grace and mercy to help in time of need. Lord, I have done it one more time. And even if I think I've done it, I've had a really good week. I have stayed on the straight and narrow as far as I can tell. Have I done everything perfectly? Absolutely not. I am incapable of doing anything perfectly. See, sin has two different definitions for us. Sin has the, the, the one definition that I know this is what I ought to do, and I choose to do it this way. Sin also has the definition, I know this is how to do this, and I'm doing everything I can, but every time I shoot that arrow, I'm missing the bullseye. I'm getting it close to the target. Sometimes I hit the target. Sometimes, you know, it's like somebody I heard describe uh, a particular person they're a hammer in search of a nail. And sometimes they hit the nail and sometimes they hit a baby. And you never know quite which, where that hammer is going to land. Well, that's how we are at our best. We are a hammer in search of a nail. And sometimes we hit the nail and sometimes we hit the baby. That's part of this. Lord, I need you. I can't do this. I can't live, I can't live even sort of normal and holy without you. When I do that, His faithfulness and His righteousness just continuously washes me. It's like living in a car wash. It's hard to get dirty if you live in the shower. It really is. 
You just get a, you stay wet all the time. But that's not a bad thing if you're if if that what you're getting soaked in is the glory of God, Amen. But but I I I have an entrance into the grace in which I stand. But notice the last part of verse two. And I rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. I live a life of rejoicing. Because I do everything so well? No, because God is helping me no matter what I'm doing. Whether I'm sinning or whether I'm doing it as righteous as I know how and have the abilities, God is making up the difference. And I can rejoice in that. Now, if, if you go on, and we're not going to read the rest of that, verse 3 through 11, it, this, this access into this faith brings us, it, it affects our life. Remember, it's an entrance into a new manner of living. It's not just that my actions change, but everything about me changes. I'm not the same person. And I know from sinner to saint, there's a dramatic difference. But from the John yesterday and the John today, there's a difference. From the John 30 seconds ago to the John right now, there's a difference. I have to constantly keep myself in remembrance that he is changing me moment by moment by moment. I'm being conformed more and more into the image of him because that's my goal. My goal isn't to be as good as you are. My goal is to live as good as he does and as he did and to manifest his life and his glory in me. That's, where I'm, that's what I'm reaching to. Paul said it. He said, I forget those things that are behind. And I press on to the mark of the high calling of Christ. Well, that's a calling you will never attain. I don't care. You can live to be 999 years. You can make the Methuselah look like a kid. You're never going to attain to that calling. But are you reaching for it? Are you growing? Are you stretching yourself? That's what Paul's telling us. But he's saying this access has to affect our lives. Why? If I was the greatest guy on earth, I might find somebody that would be willing to die for me. You know, if you're a Secret Service agent and you're guarding the president, doesn't matter whether you like the guy or not. doesn't have anything to do with it. If somebody comes after them, your job and your dedication is, I will stand and take a bullet instead of my president taking a bullet. If you're in the military and, and you have a leader, most, most military people who have a good leader, that's their attitude. I will, I will follow that man into battle anywhere, and I will stand next to him, and if I have to sacrifice my life for that person, I'm willing to sacrifice it. Look at how many men... Have, have received the Medal of Honor. And it's, it's, it's kind of, it's so corny, they won't even put it in movies anymore because it's just become a cliche. Because the enemy throws a hand grenade in the middle of the group and a person dives on it and loses their life to save their friends, their buddies. And yet it happens continually in warfare. What courage. And yet Jesus, they'll do that for their buddies. How many of you will, will take someone, you're in, a, you're in a firefight, you surrender, and a guy walks up <clears throat> and he puts a bullet in the ear of your best friend, kills him, cold blood right there in front of you. <clears throat> and yet you would turn around and die for that person. 
Now, most of us would be willing to put a bullet right back at him. That would be our attitude. And yet Jesus, when we were his worst enemy, said, I will die for you. You are a child of the devil, and yet I'm going to die for you. He died for his worst enemy. How much more should, should we accept him? But notice that, that the end of this, he says, verse 10, and still in, in um, chapter 5 of Romans, For if, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his Son, much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. That doesn't mean that I need to get saved every day. I, I, I did something and I've lost my salvation, so I need to come back and get saved again. Get, no, it's saying that his life is going to bring salvation. It's going to bring his grace. He's going to grow me and help me and make me better than I was before if I stay tied in to that access that he has granted that. Verse 11, not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received that reconciliation. I live a life of rejoicing even though I know that I've got tribulation coming. But when I see tribulation coming down the road, my, my, my uh, answer to tribulation isn't, I grab my head and say, oh my God, here we go again. No, my answer is, oh, look at the testimony I'm going to have at the end of this one. Now, I'm going to tell you that one's that's hard attitude to maintain. Sometimes you have to get, the, the, your, your, your tribulation will knock you back, and it may take you a while to realize Testimony's coming. But whether you, you meet tribulation with that attitude to begin with or you get knocked on your rear end and it takes you a while to get up, that eventually needs to be our attitude. Testimony's coming. Testimony's coming because he's going to put me over. He is going to make me a victor. It has to. It's, it's a new manner of living that I rejoice in. Now, how do I do this? Let me, my time's almost gone, but let me go back to something that I preached on a little bit last week. In Romans chapter 10, this is Paul. He is talking here about <coughs> the nation of Israel. He says, My heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they would be saved. But I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. Why? For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. I want to go back and, and, and read verse 3 and 4. Well, let me finish 4 here. He said, for, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. I want to go back and I want to look at that, that little phrase there. He's talking about Israel. They have a zeal for God, but it's not according to knowledge. They've got the wrong way. And this doesn't just apply to, to Israel, the nation of Israel. It also applies to every person who seeks to establish their own righteousness. I'm going to work my way into being right with God. You, got to, you may have a zeal for God, but it's, it, it's not going to work. But what I want to do, because it says, 
For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. For God is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. I want to take that principle and we're going to substitute for the word righteous, I want to substitute the word ways. Meaning a manner of life, a meaning, a, 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 a way that you approach every situation in your life. Because the principle holds. Amen? Let's read that. Instead of saying righteousness, we're going to look ways. And when I say ways, I'm thinking of how I live or how you live. For they, being ignorant, <coughs> excuse me, for they, being ignorant of God's ways and seeking to establish their own ways, have not submitted to the ways of God. For Christ is the end of the law for ways to everyone who believes. <clears throat> and if you think about it, <clears throat> you go back to Genesis. <clears throat> Look at the sin of Adam. What is the sin of Adam? It's disobedience. He was convinced, he and Eve were convinced that God's, they had a better way than God's way. It was just simple disobedience. We think of sin. You think of, you ask someone, ask anybody on the street, what's the worst sin you can think of? Oh, they will come up with genocide or murder, or in our world, if, especially if you're dealing with Christians, abortion. I mean, let's face it, we have slaughtered millions worldwide hundreds of millions of the most innocent among us is that the worst sin there is basically what sin is is we've decided i'm going to do it my way that old frank sinatra song i'm going to do it my way and let's go back to abortion what is the sin of abortion sure killing a, a, an unborn child is a sin well, where does the sin originate? The sin originates, I've got these problems. I'm not ready to handle a child. So I have a choice. Trust God or kill the baby. What do we do? We, we forget about trusting God and we take the easy way out. I have a better way. Is that a gross sin? Yes, but it's no different than... A person, and let me just, I let me come camp in your, and if this offends you, I'm sorry. I hope you come back. Well, let's talk about a Christian who goes to their checkbook and says, I know the word says that I ought to tithe, but man, I can't afford it. I got to have that money. And we've already taken up our offering, so I'm not trying to get money out of you. God says, Bring the whole tithe into my storehouse. I'll open the windows of heaven. I'll rebuke the devourer on your behalf, and I will cause you to be a delightful land. And we say, there's no way. I've got X dollars for bills. I've got X dollars coming in. If I give a tenth, a tenth, a tenth, are you crazy? A tenth of everything I get? If I give a tenth, I can't pay my bills. So my way's more logical in his way same situation people haven't died but you know what if your church doesn't have the money or the ministry that God's told you to sow into doesn't have the money to fulfill the call that's put they've God's put on that group 
and somebody dies and goes to hell, does death not result? Wow, this got heavy all of a sudden. The point is, it's not about doing it my way. It's about doing it his way. I have access to the throne room to figure out what God wants me to do. I have to do it God's way. He, he says, if you go on down there in, in verse, uh, I'm going to jump on down to verse, well, verse 5 through 7. Let's just read, though. This is my way. For Moses writes about the righteousness which is of the law. The man who does these things shall live by them. But the righteousness of faith speaks in this way. Do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down from above, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. The righteousness of the law says, I got to do it. I got to bring God down from heaven, or I got to bring God up out of the abyss and raise him from the dead. It's my effort that's going to bring God into my life. The righteousness of faith say, that's on you, God. <laughs> I can't do it. But then he goes in, what is God's way? Verse 8, what does it say? The word is near you. The word is near you. Everything centers on the word, the written word of God. If I'm, when I get even an inch away from the Word, I'm on dangerous territory. I've got to bring it back to the Word. He says the Word is near you. It's in your mouth and in your heart. That is the Word of faith which we preach. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. And then he gives us the pattern, verse 10. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. I believe in my heart, that's the starting point, but if I never take that next step and declare it is a fact in my life, I can believe. I used to sit in a classroom, and you know, every once in a while it's really, it's, it's just interesting as a teacher. You sit there and you, you sit at your desk, and you got your head down, and you got paper in front of you, and you just kind of wiggle your hand around like you're doing something, and you're not doing anything. You're just listening. It's amazing what kids will reveal to you. And, and, and the greatest arguments I ever, I ever heard were, um, well, I believe in God. I believe in God. I'm just as good as those Christians. I believe in God. It's like, great. Paul even said it. Or um, not Paul, but uh, James. You believe in God? You do well. The demons in hell believe, and they tremble. Believing in God, believing in Jesus, believing that Jesus is the Son of God, believing that Jesus died for your sins and was raised from the grave in your behalf does you no good unless you take the next step and apply it by taking your faith out of your heart and letting it come out of your mouth and saying, Jesus, you are my Lord. I surrender to you. And it's not just, I'm not just talking about an, an empty head saying empty words. You have to believe it first. And, and the confession message has gotten all screwed around. I mean, there are people running around, oh, I confess I'm a millionaire, I'm a millionaire, I'm a millionaire. And I want to say, what scripture are you standing on? What scripture are you standing on for believing that? Well, you know, he said he'll prosper you. Well, what's that mean for you? Has Jesus told you personally in your prayer time he's going to make you a millionaire? 
If he has, then you have a right to claim that and declare it. And you ought to be declaring it. But if he hasn't said that to you personally, you're just spouting words. Now, he has declared, I'll open the windows of heaven and shower a blessing down on you larger than you can contain. I'm believing for that one. I declare that one. You know when I declare it the hardest? When I got more months than I got check. Wow. You mean you have times when you don't have enough money to pay your bills? Well, no, I got, I got my emergency savings. I always got them covered. But there's times when I, I, I'm regularly dipping into that emergency fund to the point where my emergency fund's starting to say, your emergency fund's having an emergency. And when I do that, then I have to grab that checkbook and say, listen, devil, you don't have a right to do this. No, 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 no. I am a tither. Not only did I give my tithes, I give offerings. I give above and beyond the tithe. And Jesus said he's opened the windows of heaven. He, and you are rebuked because he said he would rebuke you. And he's going to make me a delightful land. And you can't steal my money anymore. Get your stinking hands off of it. And then I have to do what I know to do. I mean, you know, you can't live by faith and never work. It's like the old guy said, well, I don't know what's going on. I keep believing God to bless me, and I just keep getting job offers. It's like, well, duh, yeah. You're not going to sit at home and have a dog walk up your driveway and hand you a bag of cash. But you can believe God for a job, and you can believe for God to, to give you promotions on your job and give you pay raises. And if, if that job doesn't suit you, get a better job. You can believe for God to bless you if you're doing what he's saying. But I have to declare it with my mouth first. I have to believe it in my heart. I have to keep planting the word and keep planting the word and keep planting the word and keep planting the word. But forget about the money. I'm, 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 I'm dealing with sickness and disease. i got a problem in my body. It's not doing what it's supposed to do. Go to the word. Go to the word. Grab your phone because I, we all have these things now. And go grab Bible Gateway. It's one of my favorite. Blue Letter Bible's even better. Two simple programs you can get the apps for. And put in HEAL, H-E-A-L. Have it do a search, New Testament, Old Testament. And find every scripture that deals with healing. You got a couple years worth of study right there. Just go through and start finding out, what does God's word say about, my he about whether I'm healed or not? And start planting that word and planting that word and praying about it and praying over the word. And at some point, you're going to get a revelation. Jesus died, not only for my sins, but my sicknesses. Wow. I didn't know that. In fact, I've had preachers tell me that he only died for my sins. I'll get healed when I die. <clears throat> Never have quite understood that one. I will get a new body someday, perfect. We'll never have, not even going to be subject to sickness and disease. But I also won't have the nature of sin in it. But right now, my body's going to grow old because of the, the um, curse of the fall. But it can be healed because sickness comes from the curse of the law, and Jesus redeemed us from the curse of the law. I can't, I can't do anything about getting old. It's like somebody told me, I'm tired of celebrating birthdays. Well, I'll see you at the graveyard. I look forward to birthdays. I rejoice with birthdays. I like them. I want to have a bunch more of them. Why? Because I want to hang around. I got things to do. I got grandkids to see. I got people I want to influence. But I am going to get old. If you live long enough, you always get old. 
But it's not that so much as how do I live while I'm getting old. This empty confession, Jesus said it in Matthew 6, 7. When you pray, don't use vain repetition. Believe what you're saying and declare what God said. And then stand on it. and Say, God, you said this is mine. I'm believing you it's mine. I have it right now. And we have a perfect example of that. We have communion. What does communion do? What is communion all about? It's all about going back to and seeing what Jesus and reliving what Jesus did at the cross. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. This is from the... Um, This is the Amplified Translation. This is Jesus, or Paul, talking. Remember, Paul wasn't at the Last Supper. Paul was, who knows where Paul was, probably in Tarsus making tents, you know, or sitting at the feet of Gamaliel, studying the Torah. We don't know where Paul was during that time. But Jesus taught him about communion. He says in 1 Corinthians 11, starting in verse 23, this is the Amplified Version. It says, For I received from the Lord Himself the instruction which I passed on to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night in which He was betrayed, took bread. This was the Passover meal. And when He had given thanks, He broke it and said, This represents My body, which is offered as sacrifice for you. Do this in affectionate remembrance of Me. And in the same way, after supper, He took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant, ratified and established in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in affectionate remembrance of me. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are proclaiming the fact of the Lord's death until he comes again. Now, one thing you do need to keep in mind is, is Jesus died twice. He died physically and died when he became sin. And then he died to that death. Remember, de for, for us, death means separation. If, if I drop dead right now, it means that, that my physical body, just the heart quits beating and the cells start to die. But my spirit, the real me, separates itself from this body. When Jesus died on the cross, he was separated from his body. <clears throat> In that act, he became sin. He took our sins. He took our sins upon him. It doesn't say he just they, he was clothed in them. He became sin. It's Paul. Don't, if, you, if you have a problem with that, you need to argue with Paul. But when the price was paid, he stepped out of that position of being sin and stepped into the position of of being righteous once more because his righteousness never ended. Amen? He died twice. We are proclaiming in this that his body was broken for me. When he conquered sickness through his resurrection, when he died to sin and became alive again, I became alive again. His body is still wounded. Still got the holes in it. 
So got a, a spear hole in his heart. And yet he's alive. He's been alive for 2,000 years sitting on the throne room. That's mine. I have right to that health and healing because he died to death and he died to sickness. Amen? So as we take this, we proclaim that death. Take and eat. And in the same way, the cup represents the forgiveness of sins. This one most people don't have a problem with because we've been preached this one our entire lives. Healing is still new to a lot of people. Never heard healing preached much. But the cup, that's his blood that was shed for me. And it is still alive. In the same way that the Bible says that the blood of Abel cried out from the ground for justice. Cain killed him and his blood cried out. Jesus' blood sits on the throne, sits on the the, 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 the um, altar in heaven and it cries out but it doesn't cry out for revenge the way Abel's blood did it cries out they're righteous they're forgiven when we come and say my sin is covered by the blood of Jesus we agree with him and we proclaim his death he died to my sin and became righteous I am righteous because his blood has transformed me. Take and drink. Thank you so much for joining us today. If this message has blessed you, we invite you to visit us in person at the corner of Highway 31 South and Southport Road, Indianapolis, Indiana, or visit us online at FCCIndianapolis.com.